kind of a little side note here before uh, we get started this morning. Um, I'm always as honest as I possibly can be when I'm asked to preach. And uh, I'll admit, sometimes it's uncomfortable, and I recognize that it may be uncomfortable both for you and for me. Today's message from James is one that um, it may be the toughest one that I have ever prepared for. Human prejudice is, well, it stinks. But it is something that we all do. Satan has probably hardwired it into our survival DNA. Back when we were still trying to figure out this whole survival thing, this whole friend and foe thing, we had to pretty quickly make a judgment as to whether or not this person would come and ask me into his tent for dinner or if I was going to become a decoration on his tent pole, if you know what I mean. But what are we to make of this prejudging, this, our prejudice, now that we're hopefully a tad more advanced and now that we're loving Christians and understanding that we're all one before a loving God? Let me tell you a real quick story, one that begins with those famous words back when I was in the Navy. And an eye roll is okay, it's permitted. I had a young sailor under my charge who was pretty unremarkable in just about every way except for how I thought him to be an incredible waste of brains and talent, let alone my time. Out of my 175 men, he was one of the few who could always be counted on to be get whacked by a piece of machinery, to lose or break an expensive piece of gear, to be late, be out of uniform, be out of place, be out of excuses. And most of the time, it took two or three really good petty officers just to watch over him to keep him out of trouble or out of the sick bay with something broken or bleeding. Seaman Jones, I'll call him, was actually pretty smart. Smart enough to kind of skate along, but one time he finally got in enough trouble, he really got in enough trouble that there was no other choice but to bring him up before the commanding officer. And the skipper sentenced him, as I thought he would, to a reduction in rank and three days in the brig on bread and water. The brig. This is no joke. The brig is something out of medieval times. Um, steel floors, steel walls, steel overhead, steel bars, steel deck, steel commode. And all the crusts of bread he cared to eat for three days. And all the nice warm fuel oil tainted water that he cared to drink. I visited this guy every day in the brig. Not because I wanted to, but because... Being a junior officer, I had to. It was part of my job. So the very first time I went to him, I went not because I saw some special merit in him, but because it was required. But by the second visit, well, you know what? That first visit, my prejudice against that young sailor was showing. But by the second visit, I'd seen such a remarkable change. I was starting to look forward to my third visit. It's doubtful that there has ever been a more complete transformation in a sailor. 
within a month, it was astonishing. I had underestimated this sailor, and I had looked at him with prejudice, that automatic assumption that whatever he did, it would be a screw-up. He had started to look at himself the same way. Those three days in the brig led this sailor and all of us to rethink how we looked on him, rethink our prejudices, our assumptions. A year and a half later, Petty Officer Jones left the ship as a powerful and respected young leader. Oh, man, <laughs> he was greatly missed. He had gained three grades in rank. He ran a shop of 15 men, and he was going to a great new job. All of this because, at the very least, he had decided to overcome the prejudices built up against him and the own prejudices against his own being that he had taken on, against what he was able to achieve, against who he was. Will you pray with me? Holy Lord, maker of us all, you call us to understand that we are to love others as we love ourselves. Open us to the opportunities that lie in front of us to pour out our love, your love, where faith and words and works to meet the need of our neighbor all come together in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. I started out this morning by saying that this passage from James could maybe be a little uncomfortable. Good. Hopefully that means we might be thinking a little bit about our relationships with both our fellow Christians and also those other guys. Which other guys? All of them. Here's the problem in today's text. Our author, James, is one of the very earliest preachers, and he's trying to bring a basic understanding of Christianity to all these brand new Christians. Not only are we to love others as we love ourselves, what James calls the royal rule, but also to understand this is no halfway thing. If we refuse or neglect to act kindly, we will not be treated kindly. And in 2019, we equate prejudice with discrimination. We not only prejudge people, but we separate, we discriminate between people based on how we think they're going to act. James, a leader in the early Jerusalem church, had probably seen it. A rich guy comes into the church all the elders are falling all over themselves to welcome this guy. Hey, we got a great seat for you. Come on, sit down over here. We may have a nice little shawl for you to wear, perhaps. Nice seat, best seat in the house. And perhaps he'll become a regular part of the church. Maybe he's even going to leave a little something nice in the collection plate. Does that sound familiar? Then a poor man enters the church on a day when the church is busy. His clothing needs mending. He smells a little bit. He's dirty. Now, I stand over there, would you? We tell him. We're hoping 
you know, it, 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 perhaps if we discourage him, him enough, maybe he'll even find some other place to go to church. His presence among us is an embarrassment. Too many poor people in this church, and we're going to start being thought of as a poor people's church. It will reflect on us, and they'll expect us. Here's kind of the kicker. They're going to expect us to give them things. Does that sound familiar? In Galatians 3.28, Paul says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, this really caught my attention, but how come it stood out? It stood out to me because this is one of the few times that the Bible actually mentions race or gender discrimination. Of course, physically, intellectually, emotionally, economically, by any earthly comparison, it's obvious. It's obvious we're not all equal. Short, tall, fat, thin, with hair, without, brilliant, rich, poor. Evidence of human inequality is everywhere. But God makes no excuses for making us different here on earth. I mean, think about when Moses... In Exodus 4.10, he tells God, Master, please, I don't talk well. I stutter and I stammer. I love God's reply. God replies, who do you think made the human mouth? And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? But where James really concentrates begins in chapter 2, verse 5. I'm just going to read this. God chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. In Romans 12, 16, Paul writes, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with persons of low position. Do not be conceited. Very often... The Bible mentions that stark contrast, not between just us as people, but also between rich and poor, as James starts out today. And think of this. The attention is not directed so often, well, downward, if you will, to people of low means, but it's often directed what? Upwards? Don't we often see the Bible pointing out the hypocrisy, the evil, and the smug righteousness of the rich? Here's one of my favorite examples, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three talk about it. They talk about the powerful young ruler. He's called an eager disciple, and he's also described as having great wealth. He's a devoted follower. Like I said, he's an eager disciple. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to earn eternal life? The good thing that Jesus describes is to give it all away. Sell all his possessions and give it to the poor. I don't know about you, but this is, I'm willing to bet this is not the works project that this young guy had in mind. As you can imagine, he's dejected, and he walks away. The problem here is that this young man, this young ruler, 
did not love his neighbor, nor did he love God like he loved himself and certainly not like he loved his money. Isn't this the problem in our own world with what James calls in verse 8 the royal rule of the scriptures, that we're to love others as we love ourselves? I mean, we're all fine just the way we are, right? You know, I used to think I was almost 100% Germanic heritage. I mean, German, German, this earlobe over here, Irish. And I thought that, well, at least that's what mom and dad taught me. And that's certainly what I believed right up until I did one of those DNA swab the inside of your cheeks thing, and I sent that off. Turns out that I'm just under 50% British Isles. Which brings up the immigrants. America had a problem. The refugees seeking haven in America were poor and disease-ridden, and there were millions of them. They threatened to take jobs away from Americans and strain welfare budgets. They practiced an alien religion, and they swore allegiance to a foreign religious leader. They were bringing with them crime. They were accused of being rapists, and worst of all, they were Irish. I'm going to step right out here, and I'm going to say that you have been the object of partiality, of prejudice. Perhaps your mom or dad liked you more, or maybe liked the beautiful older sister, or the bratty little brother. Maybe because of your special relationship to a superior, you got selected ahead of somebody else who was maybe a little better qualified or certainly equally qualified. Or perhaps you never have been the favored one. And whether or not they were right about it, they were sure. And it affected everything that they did. I'll tell you right now, you've also been the subject of discrimination. Maybe it was for how you looked, height, weight, beauty, age, hair. You've experienced discrimination because of your intelligence, your race, your religion. And you may have scars of that to this very day. This is huge. You would think the church would be the one place where all discrimination would fall away, where class falls away, and we're all equal as children at the foot of Jesus. Unfortunately, it wasn't so at the time that the New Testament was written, and it isn't true today. James calls on us to recognize this problem and admit it and deal with this problem. Thank God for the grace that we find in the text because the New Testament, when they refer to that split between the rich and poor, just like today, they also mention other problems that were not problems back then, but our problems now. How about eunuchs? Like it is described in Matthew 19, there are eunuchs who were born that way. Some were made that way. Some choose to live that way to further the kingdom. And anyone who can accept this should do it. And actually from Acts 8, we see that Philip 
is guided by an angel to do what very well may be the first conversion of a Gentile to Christianity. It's an Ethiopian eunuch. A sexual minority, a different race, ethnicity, and nationality altogether. How's that for equality before God? In Acts 10, it's kind of a tie here between Acts 8 and Acts 10, the other person who may be the first convert to Christianity is Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Roman law held that military service was a path for conquered persons to be able to become Roman citizens. Cornelius could have been from anywhere. He could have been from any race, any nationality. And not only that, Cornelius was the enemy. He was a Roman centurion. He was the enemy to boot. And Peter said when he converted him, God has shown me that no race is better than any other. If you want God and are willing to do as he says, the door is open. What? <laughs> what a wonderful call for Christians to be radically inclusive and welcome and welcoming and yet also a very firm reminder to follow Christ's teaching. At first, I was scared, really, when Norman asked me to bring this message from James today. What a great responsibility it is to be human and yet not act out of prejudice toward others, let alone bring that message. Supposedly, the man who said that famous power corrupts truism also said there is no greater heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of that office. We're way too ready to give or to hold back honor or respect or even simple human kindness on the basis of a profession, a J-O-B, or the lack of one. How quickly and easily we can forget that each human being that we meet is equally deserving of our kindest attention, for each one of us is made by God and in the image of God. James is talking about our tendency to be prejudiced toward others because of superficial judgments based on outward appearances. He's simply saying that from God's perspective, the real issue is the condition of one's soul. God bases his choices on the heart, not on the wallet. But how are we to deal with this as humans? Well, from reading through the New Testament, it made no difference to Jesus as to whether or not the one to whom he spoke was rich or a beggar. A wealthy Jewish leader, a virtuous woman, or a prostitute, a high priest or a common worshiper, educated or ignorant, religious or irreligious, law-abiding citizen, or the criminal hanging next to him. Or even something so trivial as whether or not you're handsome or ugly. Jesus' overriding concern was the condition of the soul. We are human because God made us. We experience suffering 
and temptation, and yes, even prejudice, because mankind chose to follow Satan. God is reaching us, out to us, now, to rescue you, to rescue even me. We can, we must learn to trust him. Learning to live by his teachings, his guidelines, his laws, that we might be preserved. Learn from James. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And as God loves you. Amen.